Welcome to Overdue Classics, the podcast for all the books you've been meaning to read. I'm Brandon LeBlanc, and I'm here again with Andrew Lipinski and Patty Bianco. Uh, we are getting into the second homily in On the Human Condition, which is a collection of translated homilies by St. Basil the Great. Um, as we mentioned last time, we realized reading the first one that we would have to go one homily at a time because there's just too much to discuss. So we're back for homily two, uh, On the Origin of Humanity, Discourse 2 on the human being. So these was really a, these really were a two-part homily that that um, that St. Basil gave. Uh the rest are kind of other ones that are on the same topic. So um how are you guys doing? Doing pretty good. Absolutely I think, wonderful. I think Andrea is getting like actual fall, which must be nice. <laughs> yeah. Nice. We actually we made there's a quintessential tort to make it's not a tort because it's a flourless cake but it's a, a tart tart sorry word word wrong word a plum tart that's the mm-hmm. new york times cooking uh recipe it's the number one recipe of all times for the new york times huh. it's this plum tort and i think after having made it last night um that the reason is it's it's a celebration of the last of the fruit of summer heading into fall and so it marks the season change uh seeing yeah. we're still harvesting really good watermelons down here because it's just hasn't stopped being summer so, yeah no like literally this week people were like hey it didn't feel miserable walking to the car this morning but it was like still high of 96 98 for the day you know what <laughs> yeah. i mean you're just like but i didn't sweat in the morning going from my house to the car it was nice and we're 50 in the morning <laughs> oh wow yeah we're, we're glad it's in like the upper 70s we're like oh i think i feel a chill in the air <laughs> What we like to call fake fall because it's going to get hot again before baseball season ends. So oh, it's rough, true. but oh. football's back. It feels like fall. We're going to fake it. So fake it till we make it down here in Houston. <laughs> well, nice. I think uh, Patty has volunteered to to give our short uh, summary narration this time around. So I'll take it away. All right. So on the human being, it starts with Solomon and his proverbs. Um, He's a little more kind to the human um, than the psalmist. So the (laughs) psalmist despises the living being as worthless, but the proverb glorifies the human as something great. And then we have some discussion of the worthiness of humans, uh, that nature and our honor. And then we look at um, the firmament And we're comparing how God created the light versus creating the human. He says, let let a firmament come to be. It was not said, let a human come to be. And then we talk more about uh, how God took, he made, he molded the human. Uh, He made the inner human being and he molded the outer. And then we have uh, the Making from the dust, he goes into that a little bit more. Um, Ponder how you were molded. Consider the workshop of nature, as well as um, the blessing to grow and multiply. And so he talks about the growth of the soul, the progress to perfection, while the body is a development from smallness to appropriate stature. I like that. So the difference between the humans and the animals in that growth and multiply distinction. Uh, we fill the earth and then 
giving every tree its fruit for food, discussing that and the what originally in paradise, what our food looked like versus what it is, um, what the concession is for today and how that is different for how it was for the animals in paradise and how it is for them today as well. And then we talk about um, God resting from all his works on the seventh day and this number of six, six, sixness and sevenness and what all that means. And just as a note, I thought it was interesting that there's seven sections in this whole book. <laughs> but he points out all the different nice. seven sevennesses that we have, which is interesting. And the Sabbath, honoring the Sabbath day. God resting from his works on the seventh day. And then back to the dust, right? Um, not to fear the dust, not to judge a human by his appearance. And then a way that we can, I guess, control our passion of anger mm-hmm. and how we can avoid desire as well as um, more into the molding and what that means, the distinction of you know how we mold as humans and how God molds and how that's different for us or different, I guess, more for God, right? <laughs> he did not create, mold us in a way that an artist molds a statue, but that we are, in fact, a small cosmos who are beautifully made who are honored by him with his name and that we are created upright we don't walk like the rest of the animals we were given a specific special activity and that our gaze is important that we lift our head high and then he went into specifically an example of how our eyes were made and so that design that was perfectly planned and all the different ways that we have round eyes and we have eyelids. So we have the inner eyes and we have the outer eyes. We have the lashes. We have the eyebrows to keep the sweat out of our eyes so that we can do as we toil, we can keep working and that it's all balanced with, with the support of the nose in unity. And by that one example, we can see how everything else was skillfully made. Nice. Yeah. I like that. The way you just ended that, like he, his last section, he says, if we wanted to speak only of the aspects of ourselves skillfully wrought by God, the whole day would not be sufficient. Right. So that one example was sufficient. Thank you. It's so, it's so crazy that we started reading this and then like this stuff kept popping up around me. Mm-hmm. Like these, like a proper understanding of Genesis and like, like things I'm seeing on social media, like, you know, a real or a TikTok about someone talking about like, I don't know, the contradictions of these, of these two accounts, right. Or that it's a contradictory account is not as like people just are not understanding. And I was like, wow, if you just went back and read St. Basil, he covered all this 1700 years ago, pretty clearly. Um, but even uh, my oldest uh, Kenga is in an astronomy class this year. 
And as part of the astronomy class, they read the Timaeus. Um, it's a great astronomy class. It's awesome. Um, they're, they're covering modern understanding and ancient understanding. It's great. But, um, and that's the whole, the Timaeus is all about like this kind of understanding of the universe and, and the being of man. And so it's crazy. Like in how there, how close Plato comes to so many things. And then you have St. Basil just kind of distilling it all down for us in these. Yeah. But this was like in the last week, like I was reading the Timaeus with her aloud to, like mm-hmm. we were going through, we were doing it together. And it's like, this is so weird, but mm-hmm. I'm loving it. I'm loving this St. Basil. So, yeah. I like how you opened us, Patty, saying that the writer of Proverbs tells us that the human is great, mm. but the writer of the Psalms tells us that the human is to be despised. And he lays both of these in here. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I mean, do you think he does it in a contradictory way? I wondered at first when I saw that sentence, I was like, well, what does he mean by that? Mm-hmm. And then I, I was thinking that most of the Psalms, I think, are David, right? And David's son is writing Proverbs. Mm. Is it just, you know, the things that David saw, right? David was a warrior, soldier. Maybe he was more, as it talks about, low the lowliness of the earth, right? You're experiencing that more versus, you know, the, but it did, it did qualify and say Solomon was not wise, not in a wisdom of persuasive words, but in Mm -hmm. teachings of the Holy spirit, glorify the human being. So I wonder if um, there's that balance. I think he talks about that later. Like we need, we need to despise what is despiteful, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. And, but yet we need to glorify the human being that was, or, you know, glorif- can't think of the term, but yeah, fearfully, wonderfully made. Yeah, I want, I mean, it makes me wonder if, if you know, he's, he's preaching to a congregation. These, these are his homilies, right? Um, he's priest or bishop at this time. And it makes me wonder if his Christians and and then and 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 then the pagans around them were were putting up some of the same you know challenges and questions that that we hear today. Like I was just saying, you know, the the uh, why are there all these contradictions in Scripture? And you know, um, you know, how can we be? How can there be a call to be to be humble, but then we're in the image of God and you know, all this kind of stuff mm-hmm. and and he's there's nothing new under the sun right the same questions come up and he's he, this is him beginning to lay out how it's not a con there's no, there's no contradiction in it may be beyond your understanding to some extent but there's no contradiction and the psalmist and the and and solomon are both are both right right like you're formed out of the dirt that should make you humble <laughs> <laughs> your physical body is formed out of the dirt, right? But your soul is in the image of God. So, like, there's this, uh, there's this both and that he's getting us to. Um, and he does it just so simply. Like, he's, it's not even like this really complicated, you know, using high theological, philosophical language. He's just kind of very clearly pointing out the, the reality of how things happened. Mm-hmm. I, I, that very, beginning of section two was like the first thing I put in blue. It's like, for now we heard that God took dust from the earth 
and molded the human being. I discovered from this word both that the human is nothing and that the human is great. If you look toward our nature alone, it is nothing and is worthy of nothing. But if you look toward the honor with which he was honored, the human is great. And that's just doesn't get much clearer than that. I think to some extent, like he lays that here at the beginning, that the human is great. But then he spends, I want to say, much of the rest of this one speaking to the dust aspect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think he spends a little bit of time at the beginning, you know, unpacking some other things that are being said in ways. But then the second half is really focusing on that that dust half, that dust aspect, that what it means to be of the earth. Mm-hmm. So the third section, I wrote a question out to the side. Um, you know, he says that the human, the human being, already some have said that molded is said of the body while made is said of the soul. Okay, so we can separate those out. He made the inner human and he molded the outer. And Patty brought that back to us. But then he he references in the fourth section. Yeah, so and then he starts off the fourth section saying, so then, having spoken about the subsistence of the soul, now scripture discusses the molding of the body. So what's the subsistence? Is There's a difference between subsistence and substance. Or mm-hmm. is there? The subsistence. Not, yeah, because, no, subsistence to me seems like what what sustains it, what feeds it. Like, um, But I'm not sure. I think... Well, I like that in, in three, when he says, instead of uh, molded instead of the body while made instead of the soul, that his next line is probably the idea is not outside the truth. Like, I like that he phrases it that way instead of like, this is this is true. But like he says, this is within the realm of truth. Like, it may not be like, this is a model of understanding this that, that we can grasp onto. This is this is under the idea like this is within what's true there's probably there may be more that we're not grasping but this kind of this particular way of thinking about it is not untrue per se even if it's limited um because then i think he is talking about the soul was made with the more like with the word but a different word than what he said of other things like whether be he said let us make right and that right. and when we talk about in the last homily um and that's where the image of god part is happening but then he's he molds a, a physical body uh, to go with the soul yeah here i guess when i hit the section for that first line so then having spoken about the substance of the soul mm-hmm. which is just its existence now let's go on to the body and i was like i want more of the soul i'm not done yet <laughs> i didn't know if anybody else felt that at that moment yeah i think i don't know i, I feel like he's trying to transition us from you know because the the top that what we call genesis 2 which he may not even had those labels but mm-hmm. but the top part of genesis 2 is really the end of the account of genesis 1 right, right. um and so if he's explaining that transition to why it starts getting explained again mm-hmm. um right there yeah, that's how I took it. Is he's trying to explain like we go through all these creation, and then that it seems like he's starting over with creating mm-hmm. man again, but he's going into more detail, I guess. Of like, like we 
in the creation account, right, he starts with the light and the darkness. Mm-hmm. Then he creates the sun, moon, and stars and the fish, right? And fills all those things. Mm-hmm. So perhaps could be true. It's in the realm of possibility yeah. that he creates the soul, right? When right. he talks about creating man. And then in one. Now he's going to fill, add the flesh, right? The body. Yeah, that was literally one of the things I saw someone saying on, on social media this week was like, well, the order is different. Like he goes through this order in, in one and then he changes the order. He makes man, then he makes plants. I'm like that's the second part's not sequential. <laughs> like you're not reading that right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you. But I, yeah, I agree with you, Andrew. I don't know if I was done with the soul. Like <laughs> there's still so much more to know, but that may be more of a mystery that is not as clear that we can show evidence for yeah. like our, our physical body. Well, I like that he gets back into those distinctions in five too, though. Um, mm-hmm. Like the two different kinds of growth that man has. Yeah. Patty pulled on that. Yeah. Oh, if I could go back up though to the end of four. Yeah. Um, I just happened on Sunday to be seated on a ridge of a mountain, gazing upon a much larger mountain mm-hmm. while I waited for three young men to hike back to me reading this section of the book. Nice. And so I read, You are a vessel divinely molded, having come into being from God. Glorify your creator. For you came to be for the sake of no other thing except that you be an instrument fit for the glory of God. And for you, this whole world is, as it were, a book that proclaims the glory of God, announcing through itself the hidden and invisible greatness of God to you who have a mind for the apprehension of truth. I'm sitting here gazing upon the book. Yeah, that's a pretty solid spot to to read that. So that I could understand the glory of God. I was in more than awe because one of the young men, he's 20, as we were hiking previously, before we got to that spot, he said, this is where I feel closest to the Lord is when I am out in nature. And he's puzzled by that. Like, why, why is it there and not in church and not in scripture reading and not in acts of service? Um, But it's when I'm out in nature, I feel God's presence. And so then I I read this. I was like, okay. (laughs) Thank you, St. Basil. And I think think God gives us all those things, right? Like, um, I think it's in the, I think people who feel it in the acts of service, that takes longer. Like it takes longer participating in that, right? You do it out of obligation at first, and then you and then you grow into it. Um, and even in church, well, maybe it depends on which kind of church, what kind of church you're in, also. But this is why architects of the church for mm-hmm. centuries tried to build structures that that you know that that drew your my your eye up and gave that same mm-hmm. kind of majesty that the mountains give you um, in the steeples and in the spires and uh, or mm-hmm. in the in the uh the internal decor uh, uh walls whether it's icons or statuary or just the just the the candelabras right. that held the tapestry the, hangings as yeah, well yeah the tapestries the things that held the lights like they would you know it's always it was designed purposefully um mm-hmm. and to varying extents depending on how much you know 
money and craftsmanship there was available, but always with an eye that it was drawing you away from the mundane around you, more like the mountain. And so, um, I don't know. So that yeah, that I'm I'm a little jealous as where you're reading. I was sitting at my desk in my office, but you know, that's okay. The four of us committed to return to that mountain together. Excellent. Mm -hmm. You have more mountains available to you than I have in Houston, so yeah. to be fair. No, she's a volcano, technically. Um nice. that's yeah. And with glaciers on her year round. And that's what I was gazing upon. Do you know that I just found out the United States has the most volcanoes in the world, like of any country? Oh. I had no mm -hmm. idea. We have tons of them, apparently. The Northern Cascades are all volcanoes. Nice. Well, this these next couple of sections really parsed some of these lines in Genesis. Um, mm -hmm. Honestly, very differently than I've than I've heard them parsed, particularly mm -hmm. in in section five. Um, I, don't, I want to see what y'all think about this because. The, you know, the, the growth of the soul is progress through perfection yeah. through things learned. That's more of what, in what I've been learning and understanding of the soul for the last several years. Mm -hmm. But, but it wasn't, I don't know if it was sifted this way out for me as a kid uh, com compared to like the growth of the body. And that this is one of the things that separates us from, from the animals, right? They don't have that kind of growth of soul from toward more like likeness of God. When you say growth of soul and, and, and St. Basil says, you know, it's a progress to perfection through things mm -hmm. learned. Where does the phrase that I've heard in classical circles, the fat soul, is that the growth of soul? The fat soul? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I hear like the great, the greatness of soul with Plato, but yeah, fat soul, go for it. I don't know. You don't know that phrase. Okay. Mm -mm. I've heard it for years. Um, I'm going to keep doing the hunt to see where I first heard it then. Okay. It's, we currently on the Circe blogs have, um, an article there on it as well. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, now I got to go catch up to my reading. Who wrote that one? Right. It was written by Rachel Woodham. Oh, yeah. She does a lot of her stuff. Mm -hmm. We caught up. Yeah. That's what I thought of too when I reread that. Now okay. that I've heard that term, I had not heard that term before. Okay. But um, the growth of the soul, I could see that, right? And, and what you're feeding your soul, right? To make it grow. Yeah. To become fat. My guess would be that that's an alternate alternate translation of what I've heard as great soul. Like which is that's what I usually hear with like when you're talking about and with Plato and others being translated as the great soul man or whatever. But um yeah. but if that's coming from antiquity and it's coming from Latin or Greek or it's possible that, that word is translated both ways. I, yeah, I don't know. I just know that within my classical circles, I've heard it for years. Hmm. Um one of Renee Mathis's apprentices, Brittany Lewis, has used it for years with me. Okay. And so I'm, you know, I don't know where to go back to figure out. Brittany has good vernacular, so that's not, that's not surprising. I know. Right. That's I trust her. Excellent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so they, that growth, right. And it says, and then he like midway through five switches to the multiply part of that line, grow and multiply, mm -hmm. you know. Um, mm -hmm. And this is where it was really different for me. Like I have only ever heard multiply the fill the earth as like physically filling the earth, like junior, 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 junior. Yeah. Having mm -hmm. lots of kids. Mm -hmm. And so when he turns this Junior to <laughs> this one, I, this one I was like, okay, I have more questions about this. this that's what I decided I was going to start using orange on like what I have more questions about. Yeah. And it was, uh, 
fill the earth, fill the flesh, which has been given you for serving through good works. Because in this point, he's equating the physical body with the earth because it's made from the dust, right? Mm -hmm. So let the eye be filled with seeing duties. Let the hand be filled with good works. May the feet stand ready to visit the sick, journeying to fitting things. Let every usage of our limbs be filled with actions according to commandments. This is to fill the earth. Have either of you ever heard this taught that way? Like, This was my first time. And I brought this one to the boys as well that I was reading and discussing with. Um, that, right? It's particularly for young men who aren't even dating, you know, they're <laughs> 17 to 20. Um, you know, is, is this command anything to do with them until they're married? Right. right. I don't know why I ever thought of that before. Mm -hmm. How is this command fulfilled if you're not married? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's such a good thought. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it, for them, it was like, oh, there's a place for me in this now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I hadn't heard that either, but I like that. And I like that it he applied it to the church as well just before that. Mm -hmm. Right. Let the gospel of salvation be proclaimed to all the earth. Hmm. That that is a way we can multiply and fill the earth. And this is this is good because I think a lot of I think a lot of the trouble we've gotten into in the modern churches, or at least when we're trying to talk to other people, is that people see certain things like there's no place for me in that. Like there's how do I do that? I can't be a part of that because of this circumstance of my life. And mm -hmm. we've we've cut a lot of the law from the body of the uh, of Christ through that. Mm -hmm. I don't know. This is this is something I'm going to chew on a lot longer. Yeah, he keeps going though. In my opinion, <laughs> like, Go with take it new newness. Um, so then he starts off with six, uh, quoting Genesis one twenty nine. Behold, I have given you every tree which has fruit in itself. It will be for you to you for food. And he says all things are prescriptive. He hadn't said yet, right, that he's given us fish for food or mm. domestic animals or reptiles or quadrupeds. Um, and then he talks about how after the flood, all things were given for food. Mm. And by this concession, the rest of the living beings also received the freedom to eat them and one another, which causes the lion to be a carnivore. And the vultures are eating carcasses, which wasn't happening pre-fall, right? That's mm -hmm. That was my understanding. Am I yeah. Quiet. <laughs> I'm nervous. No, because I, I was I was ready for him to go to after the fall, but he wait he he goes to after the flood, flood, which is to me is interesting. Yeah, yeah. So that's what I yeah. Um, and then at the beginning of seven, he says, "But the restoration after the present age will be such as was the first creation." So while we wait for restoration. He goes on and talks about how we desire paradise's food. Mm. And so then in the middle of that last paragraph of seven, he says, however, now indeed, as we wish to conduct ourselves in imitation for the life of paradise, we avoid this excessively material enjoyment of foods, conducting ourselves as far as is possible according to that life, using fruits and grains and the produce of fruit trees for passing through life. But what surpasses these things we reject as unnecessary. It may just be the season of life I'm in with the young adults that I'm living life with. Um, but I read in this uh, a root of eating disorders. That it's a desire hmm. for paradise. 
And hit home to me, he says there in the middle of seven, um, how little human beings needed to lead their life. The cause of our variety in diet was the introduction of sin. And I'm someone who hates leftovers. I love variety in my food. And in a way, that's, you know, it's a delicacy, right? To be able to have mm-hmm. something different to eat, mm-hmm. a vari- you know, total variety of food. And even what we have now compared to something that we we grew ourselves, not just the fruits and grains and that there's a time to fast and there's a time mm-hmm. to feast. Right. We invented adulterated delicacies for ourselves. It wasn't meant to be like that. Yeah. I appreciate though that he like gives us a little bit of a um, <laughs> caveat. Or he, he points out that since we were, since we were cut off, we've been given these things um, kind of as a, as a, a grace, a mercy, yeah. mercy from God, right? Like the, and since we no longer see the tree of life, nor do we have, nor do we pride ourselves in that beauty. They've been given to us for our, they've been given to us for our enjoyment, cooks and bakers and various pastries and aromas, such things that console us and our banishment from there. It's just like, it's like a consolation of that longing for paradise that we can't have yet. So, Okay. You can have like the occasional croissant, you know, like it's, you can have some meat pies. Um, but he says we need to avoid the excessively material enjoyment. Yeah. Yeah. Of food. Yeah. I, I think it's a really balanced look at this, right? Like, yeah, we probably weren't supposed to be eating meat. Yeah. You know, yeah, we shouldn't have been eating so much or even the cooking, right? Like I didn't have to cook anything in paradise either. Just, came off the tree ready to eat you know um but these things have been given to us as grace in our fallen state until until such time as we can be returned but don't abuse them right that is not don't make them the thing yeah and okay so when you just said that the they were ready to eat off the tree when my kids were little and we were traveling for a field trip or whatever i needed to grab easy to eat food so Mm. what did i grab i grabbed a banana because the peel took care of the fruit on the inside. I grabbed a kiwi, which of course I found out along the way you can eat the peel, but I wouldn't, I don't like it. I don't like fuzz, um, but it t- took care of the fruit on the inside. Um, I traveled with an avocado. The peel took care of the fruit on the inside and I could travel with these things and easily feed them to my young children um, fresh. Mm. No preparation needed, you know. And that this part caught me. There's many young women that I know who have eating disorders of various type yeah. types for various reasons. Um, they'll, you know, use food for control. It's not always about body image. Um, it's to have a sense of control. Um, but I, when I read this, for me, it pointed, it helped me see that what they ultimately want is oneness with God. And in searching for that, Where's these other places that I can try to feel like I have that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So do you have six, seven, and eight figured out? Okay. Well, eight Six-ness, just, cra- eight just cracks. And- okay. Well, section eight just cracks me up. Oh, yeah? Good. <laughs> Tell me more. Because I'm just like, he's got to be dealing with uh, uh, 
mathematicians, right? That are like, yeah, and like dealing with numerology, and and he's like, listen, I get it. Yeah, six is great. It's a multiple of three. Can it multiplies itself? And he's just like, mm-hmm. uh, and seven doesn't really do anything according to arithmetic, you know. Yeah, but he just like kind of like. I don't have time for this. Like, it's just so funny. It's just a, such a funny section to me because he's like, uh, he like acknowledges what they would say, like just without even argument almost. And then he says, uh, so if arithmetic is great, the seeds of arithmetic are here. But we, considering these things to be from the wisdom of the world, do not here take pride in stealing small things from what to them is great. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's like your great thing is a small thing. And, and now I'm going to go on to tell you why seven is actually important. And it's just like the most, it's just dismissive, but at the same time, like, yeah, I get it. I understand. I, I under, I'm, I'm well-educated. I understand all your, you know, mathematical arguments and theorems. I got it, but also no. Yeah. We're not going there. I love it. His last sentence, right? And the church assembled here does not expect a lecture on paradoxical oh. concepts, <laughs> but seeks the resolution of problems with a view to edification. Yeah, we, I just love it because we know he spent six years at the school in Athens. Like, it's not like he doesn't understand whatever yeah. geometry and, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, things they're throwing at him. And he's like, eh, okay. But also seven's important because mm-hmm. everything is sevens. And also so. I titled chapter se- or section nine, I titled it Honor Sevenness. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. It was crazy. Like, I, I, again, it's something I thought of, like, this morning, yesterday, no, before I read this about like, oh, I know what I was reading. I was reading something about that uh, Narcan becoming over the counter, that drug, the thing that's for people who are overdosing. Mm-mm. So, you know, there's been all this overdose problem and it's been growing um, with mm-hmm. fentanyl, right? But also, if you look at the stats, um, drug use and deaths from drug use have been from prescription drugs more than anything else. Like, over the last oh, two decades, 100,000 100, people a year dying from overdose, right? And so, of prescription drugs. Uh, well, of drugs, but it's, okay. but they make up okay. the bulk of it. But this Narcan is like a, it's like a nasal spray. And you can, like, someone can be overdosing, you can spray it in their nose and it, like, stops it, basically, saves their life. Hmm. Hmm. Um, and it was talking about how there's been a shift in, in politicians from all sides about, you know, um, let's first try and keep someone alive, basically, where it had been always like, you know, we're just going to punish people who use drugs or, you know, it's going to be this kind of thing. And I was thinking, you know, that's like, how many times should we try and like, you know, keep someone alive is trying to kill themselves. And I was convicted. I was like, oh, well, we should want them to be able to stay alive so they can repent and so they can stop being you know, addicted. <laughs> and so I can turn back to God. like, if I really care about my fellow man, seven, like seven times 70, I should like, hope that we save this guy's life every single time, even though he's a drain on, you know, resources and all these kind of things that you hear that people say. And because I want him to be healed if I'm really loving him. And so then I read this like, Oh, okay, good. That was convicted. Of <laughs> but it was a real conviction. Cause I was like, how many times are we going to save? And, you know, we're going to make people care, put, start putting this in first aid kits and it's going to call, you know, da, 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 da. And, um, I was like, yeah, 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 actually we should, <laughs> we should do that. If I, if I'm going to be, you know, actually loving my neighbor. And so, but then I was like, this is crazy that Peter doesn't say as many as six times or as many as eight times. Like Peter knows to say seven. 
Like this is not just some random number he chooses. I was like, oh, I never thought about that. Yeah. Well, anyway, this part was very convicting. It was like doubling down on the conviction I had had just sitting by myself reading this news article. So I was trying to understand sevenness then, right? The way he pulls it out here, saying, well, he, he Peter knew to say seven. Mm. <laughs> he didn't say six or eight. And then I noticed he says in the middle there of 10, sevenness bears a certain image of remission of sins. Mm. That is the complete rest of which the Sabbath is a sign. The seventh day after creation. Yeah. And so part of like understanding the, the nature of seven, sevenness. It, yeah, it has to do with the remission of sin. It's an, Im- it's an image right. of the remission of sin. Like That was, that kind of blew my mind a little bit. Yeah. That's inherent in the number. Like we have not grown up as a culture that understands number in that way. Or sign. Yeah. Symbol. Right. Yeah. In that way. Yeah. Yeah. And where does it say it's wherever the quote for is of Lamech? If Cain is avenged seven times and Lamech uh, 77 times, the 70 bottom, times of that, bottom of that page, the last okay. paragraph. Can you help me with that one? Because above there, we say Peter reaches seven times, the Lord as far as 70 times seven. And then we say Cain is avenged seven times and Lamech will be avenged 70 times seven. What's the, those two points are like anaphora. There's a repetition there. Pointing to something else so we can see something else. What is it that St. Basil is wanting us to see? So I had to go, I had to think, go back and think through those two characters. Um, Mm -hmm. I always said, I always forget, like, well, not always forget. I'm more readily familiar with, with Cain, who Cain is, right? Story of Cain and Abel. I think we get more of that growing up in church, uh, especially in Sunday school and stuff. Whereas Lamech, it took me like, he's in the line of, Cain, I think. Is he like a grandson or yeah. later? Yeah. It, but I think his sin is like even greater. I'm trying to remember what, what it... Well, it was the promise, right? Because yeah. after Cain, God promised... Well, he said, you know, if you're casting me out of paradise, right. I'm going to be murdered, basically. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it puts a protection on him, right? Mm-hmm. right. So sins are given against Cain, he'll avenge them seven times. Right. And so as the line of Cain goes, the greater the sin they have. Okay. The, the greater, greater forgiveness. The greater forgiveness. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, interesting. So Cain is one generation away from Adam, right? Right. Can we agree to that? All right. According to what I've just noticed, Lamech is eight generations away from Adam, which means he's how many away from Cain? Oh, seven from Cain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Of course. Man. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. And he, and he boasts about, like he kills someone and boasts about it. That he's, that he's not going to have any consequence. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the point that St. Basil is trying to drive home here is that, is that, What's that last, as great as the transgression is, so great also is the gift of grace. And it's that, like, Lamech needs even more forgiveness than Cain needs, right? He needs to, uh, or, right. um, and, and that's offered. Like, that's, that's what, that's what, that's what the Lord is answering Peter, right? That to forgive someone, to forgive a Cain offense would be seven times, right? But 
to convince. Greater offense needs a greater forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, Jesus tells that story to Simon about uh, forgiving two debts. You know, he right. gave one smaller debt, a larger debt. Which one loves more? Well, the one who has been forgiven more. So, yeah. Okay. And Lamech is Noah's father, which is interesting. <sighs> yeah. So if the seventh day, sevenness, is a remission of sins, eighth is the age of judgment, he tells us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I'm trying to I'm trying to sort out if that means we're in the seventh day, right? We're in the we're in the seventh day. We're in the day in the age of, of repentance and and remission of sins. Mm-hmm. But then there will come the eighth day when those things will be judged, mm-hmm. um, according to our faithfulness and repentance and all those things. Um, because he says yeah. in the end of ten, yeah, this is another one. So like I told you, I'm underlining in orange the things I have more questions about. So this is the part, and it says, "Accordingly, the Lord grants sevenfold to us sinners the remission of our debts, if here we propitiate Him through confession and repentance." So since we know that fearful day and since the remission of sins has been granted as through repentance we offer worthy compensation commensurate with the faults we have committed, may we do away with our sins so that there may be escape the toilsome, that we may escape the toilsome multiplication of the debt. And so it's almost like a it's going to go one way or the other, right? You're either going to be have your have your sin wiped out through your repentance and your faithfulness and your turning back to God and confession, or it's going to be multiplied. Like one of those is going to happen to you. So go ahead and choose this side. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I think. <laughs> Let's choose addition instead of multiplication, that kind of thing, maybe. Yeah. But then the last line that you didn't read, Brandon, we would call this the seventh day in relation to the consummation of the eighth day in that age. Mm. Help me. So are we living in the seventh day? Knowing the eighth day of judgment is coming? I think so. Brandon was saying, yeah. Yeah, I want to make sure I'm hearing it that way. Okay, that's I'm just checking. Because if we take it as Lemic, we can say, well, if I sin a little, there's a little forgiveness. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I sin a lot. Grace is there. But then this is the caution, right? And the eighth day, a sinner will be punished seven times, but in the just person will be honored seven times. Extremely right. just 70 times seven. Extremely sinner 70 times seven. So where sin abounds. Mm-hmm. Abounded grace, superabounded. Mm-hmm. Should we keep on sinning? I think is what Paul says, or something like that, right? Yeah, yeah. God forbid. No. Right, because this draws that out to like, okay, the, yeah, the grace superabounds, which means you'll you'll be saved from it. But but if you actually are a just person, you'll be honored seven times. And if you're a very just person, you'll be honored seventy times. It's like it's not just that. There's not just this. Um, it's not only half the half the story, right? There's the avoidance of the punishment, but then there's also the opportunity for great honor to be to be not just. Ooh, I didn't get 
<laughs> I didn't get thrown in prison, but like, no, I'm in the court of the king and I'm like getting to eat all the good food. Like there's a difference between those two things, right? Yeah, sure. It's good not to be in prison, but it's better to also not be out in the street outside the castle. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> it's, there's, there's more to it. Than there's a, there's a, there's a fuller thing to be striving for, to be hoping in. Is, all right, I'm going to tug again. So he says the just person will be honored seven times. Not the loving person, not the kind person, not the gracious person, um, not the compassionate person. I'm trying to think of, you know, different, the list of the fruits of the spirit. Um, but it, it's not one of those. It's just, which is a virtue. Mm-hmm. And it's not the strong person, the fortuitous person, you know, it's not the temperate person. Or love, like I said, it's not the faithful person, which are, those are virtues now, but it's the just. And I, so far, I read St. Basil, the great to be a writer that chooses his words carefully. Any thought on that one? Why is it, why, why just? My wife and my kid were just talking about what the ancient, the ancient definition of just is. And now I'm going to get it wrong. But I think the understanding it, it, it the, what it means to be just is to do what one ought, right? to do what is just is to do what one ought. And so I think for Basil, maybe that covers all of those things. All of them. If you are acting justly in any given circumstance, you'll do what you ought. Mm-hmm. Or um, a person here who was given our little pre-morning prayer talk uh, on 9-11 talked about, um, is it Malachi? Do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was talking to the, the students around here about, you know, what do you do after tragedy strikes? What does it do when the world changes? How are you supposed to live when the world completely changes on like it did on 9-11? Mm-hmm. He's like, the answer is you do what you were supposed to be doing before the world changed. It's the same It's the same answer. Do what is right to love mercy and to live humbly with your God. And I think that's what Basil's calling us to when he says to be just, right? Thank you. And I don't know, for me, there's this, this is, this is so much more hopeful than, you know, you'll just, you'll, you'll miss the fire of hell. Like it, it's, right. there's more, so much more hope in. Yeah. No, you can be, you'll be greatly honored if you do what you ought. If you confess your sins and you repent and you repent and you repent, you'll be honored. Um, the image of God and you will be honored as it ought to be. And that's a little bizarre. Um, so there's some within Christian circles who say that humility is to not think highly of yourself, mm-hmm. to think more highly of others. And yet you just told me, wait a minute, there's going to be an honor coming at seven times, if not 70 times seven times. Um, so... I feel like understanding ourselves rightly isn't just to place ourselves below everybody else, which is often how I hear humility spoken of. Yeah, I think, I think there's this, there's this mistaken tendency to, that to be humble is to just doormat, you know, kind of doormat yourself. Um, I think it probably has more to do with how we would talk about friendship often, which is to, to do uh, something for the, for the good of the other person or the best of what's best for the other person. That's a different view. I think, I don't know if I'm saying that well, but yeah, I think there's a danger in that for sure. 
I'm not saying I have answers. I'm just laying it out there. Patty, she has the answers. I don't have the answers. But it it does make me think back to where he's making the distinction of the body and the soul. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? That our, our, our body was made, our soul was molded, and our, our soul is what is honored. Mm. Right? So if... The soul was made, the body was molded, the flesh was molded. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I had those backwards. Yeah. My head just had to write them. (laughs) And so with the soul being made by God. Just that it it, it is being honored, right? The just person Mm -hmm. at this this judgment, Mm -hmm. are we, what is he looking at there? I guess that would be another question. Is he Mm -hmm. looking at the... The body or the soul? Mm-hmm. Which that's what, um, you know, in a way, she doesn't question it in that same way. But on our blog, uh, Rachel says, you know, we often look at actions, which would be the body. And yet, what are the things internalized, the, you know, perceptions of beauty and goodness Um that are more about the soul and how do we see those and assess those as teachers is where she's going, you know, but just live them out. Yeah. I think maybe that line for me, Andrea, when you're talking about humility versus honor and, you know, mm-hmm. um, it's pretty shallow enjoyment you get out of, or, or of um, anytime, anytime you honor yourself, right? Like, uh, and if I give myself honor, if I got by myself a plaque or pat myself on the back, there's not, there's, <laughs> there's not much um, enjoyment out of that, but to be, to be understanding that to be honored by someone else. And in this case, by God is incredibly meaningful. Right. Mm-hmm. But then, and so it's to be humble to not take those, to, you can be humble and not take that on yourself. But then if you get to the point where, you can't accept the praise that someone gives you real. Like there really are, you know, honoring something that was good. Um, you fall into this trap of like a, like a false humility, right? If you can't accept right. real praise from someone else, um, now that you're, now you're debasing yourself to, to the point that you're not, you're, you're not allowing the, the image in you to be honored. Right. Um, so if someone, praises something that I've done that was good that I didn't that I didn't do seeking praise but they but they honor it I have to accept that you know with humility but not but not in a way it's like oh no 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 like you know, it's this kind of false false thing and so the yeah so I think that it's it's a tension right it's a tension to not fall into puffing yourself up and honoring yourself but also not to fall into um uh, debasing yourself, and I think that's the tension he leads us off with, with the with the proverb and the psalmist. Right? Mm-hmm. Both we have to hold both these things as true about about us as man. Like we come from nothing, dirt, worthless, you know, dirt, but also we have the image of God, and then we have to live in that tension well. Thank you. Super hard. <laughs> And maybe the only way to do it is to is to repent a loss. Like he says here in 10. Just keep repenting when you messed it up. Seems like repentance is like always the answer, right? Like, mm-hmm. 
when, when all else fails, repent. Yeah, I'm like, that's that's one of the most life-giving things I learned in the apprenticeship um, is the prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Mm. And in a fast moment, I have, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, so we can, you know, you kind of unpack that eighth day a little more specifically in in section eleven. Mm-hmm. Um, and then beyond that, I think Andrew's what you were talking about. He spends the last back half of this book really getting into the the, the from the dust um, aspect. Should we not yeah. get puffed up with pride? <laughs> He's uh-huh. going to bring us back down to earth. Right, right, right. Oh, thank you, Patty. Yes. Yeah, I like how he ends 11, though. Um, For fear banishes every passionate thought that has gained citizenship in our souls. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Mm -hmm. Where there is fear of God, all the strains of passion are driven out of our thoughts. This seventh day is truly a type of that seventh day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, that's, that's blue in my book, too. Mm-hmm. Thanks. I just like now we can go into the dust. I am dust. No, yeah. <laughs> but the price point to the second paragraph where thoughts come to you that bring swelling and inflammation in the heart, let the memory of your creation enter you, no, uh, into enter into you how you were created. So every time you start getting puffed up, remember dirt, your dirt. I love how often he uses the word remember here in 13. He does it again, remember mm-hmm, nature, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. memory, any, yeah, it's pretty important. And it's so interesting when he says about like if you're getting angry, then then lower your glance, like 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 look down to the earth and remember. When you start to get puffed up, when you start to get angry with somebody, remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, he does, but then he doesn't leave us there. He comes back later and you know raises our raises our vision again. But through this whole and section. That was fascinating. Right in there where you are, he says, "And I see the ancient earth as my mother." Mm. And I was like. Oh, I get it now. <laughs> the idea of Gaia, the Earth Mother, right? Because it's from the dust we were created, mm-hmm. and so that ancient idea of Earth as Mother, I've not seen it. Comes before. out in all these pagan myths in this other way. Yeah, that that yeah. was like what? Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so for I, having understanding of my own nature, know who I am and from whence I came. And that's kind of the liturgy that I I asked my children growing up is, who are you? And they would answer, a child of the Most High King. And for whom do you belong? Jesus, for he paid a high price. And then once they got into college, I had to add the question, where are you going? Because they got detoured into like, I've got to pick a career that makes money. That's right. right? So where are you going? Um, home, to be with God forever. That's what this is about. It's not about the home here or the the, the toys we can accumulate. But yeah, for him to say, I've got to know my nature, who I am, and from whence I came. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like you said, the next right into 13, if you take to heart that you will be dissolved into, into earth, the madness of desire ceases. Eight. Like, and then I thought at the end of 13, he gives the longest description of something. <laughs> and I was a little fascinated because he's a man of short words, few words. And he says things really well and clearly. I don't have to look up a lot of big words here. Mm-hmm, right. right. He is speaking to people. 
Um, and yet here's a very long description of conceit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he ends it with, do not fear what you see. Do not be dismayed by those who command that these things happen. Do not let your imagination astound you. Take to heart that God molded the human being dust from the earth. Mm. If he is something else, right? If he's something other than dust of the earth, fear him. But if he is dust from the earth, despise him. Mm. I've just been sitting with that one for a while. (laughs) Yeah. And then he makes a really good distinction between like in in 14 about, you know, the 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 kind of molding we might do in a statue, which is we're making it in, you know, uh, imitation of something else. We're trying to put courage onto the face of the soldier and things of that nature. Um, but that's not that's not his his molding goes all the way down to the soul, right? All the way in. Mm-hmm. And it's all interconnected. It's not, he's not just showing one thing, one aspect of his image in, in the face, but all of, all of it. And I love this part, uh, right, right toward the top of page 61. Mm-hmm. That in truth, the human being is a small cosmos and they are beautifully made who are honored by him with this, with this name. Um, this is another one of those things that came up in my own, in my kids schooling this week, the one did, mm-hmm. that was reading the Timaeus and was talking about this in the astronomy class. Mm-hmm. The other one who is in college was talking about, I think they're, uh, I forget one of the Eskimos plays. And, and I was just talking about how they got into a conversation about the class and how, or maybe it was the astronomy class that, that as we are to the cosmos, um, like all the microbiology stuff is like cell is to us. And so like, that's like the ratio there is almost, is almost the same that we contain a universe in the same way that we're in a large universe. And that, so as man, we're the medium for understanding all of creation. <laughs> like it was just crazy that they're having this conversation in their class. And she comes up and tell me about it. I'm like, I was like, I was just reading that. St. <laughs> <laughs> Basil said the same thing. So yeah. it was really cool. Yeah, we see those pictures where they show the trees, right, and the veins and the roots, and then you look at lungs and how all those things mm-hmm. are the same. Um, that we have so many mirrors to nature. Well, Andrew talks about it all the time, right? We can't understand anything except through analogy, which that's mm-hmm. how because that's how the cosmos was created. Everything is like the other things, um, including us, except for the. The distinction being that we have the image of God in a unique way. So, I don't know if this was a, this was a lot of fun to read. Mm-hmm. And it's here, it's here, he kind of gives us another, in going into 15, he gives us kind of a, another reprieve, right? Okay, you've been looking at how dirt, how much do you are dirt for a while. But remember, you've been, you were put on two feet. You're not an animal. You're meant to be, you're meant, your gaze is meant to be toward the heavens. Not that you're equal to it, but that that you're striving toward it, you know? I mean, here he says, the fulfillment of happiness for the animals is filling the stomach. We're back to eating Mm. and enjoying pleasure. But the human being no longer looks toward the stomach, but his head is lifted high toward things above. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that next, like, 
this was so do not go therefore do not make yourself go against nature do not focus on earthly things but on heavenly things where christ is so it's actually it's actually our nature to be focused on christ and when mm-hmm. you're doing that you're actually going against your created nature which i think is a good yeah idea. and we think it's the opposite in some ways right yeah. human nature makes me want all these earthly things but no mm-hmm. i was created to want christ which i, I think when i was reading basil earlier about food that a, a disordered understanding of food is really just a longing for God mm-hmm. and, and union paradise with him. And then he closes with this like really just detailed like explanation of this. Okay. Got your head mm-hmm. on the neck with the eyes and the eyebrows. And he goes into this detailed description of one kind of system on the body sight and it's like, look, let me just show you how God designed you to see exactly how you're supposed to see. Let's just start with that. And then he's like, the eyebrow. I had to draw it in the margin. I yeah. had to go ahead and draw an eye and the eyebrows yeah. and the eyelashes, right? Like, well, and then he's like, when you look in the distance, you put it, you like, you like extend your eyebrow even more with your hand, right? And it's just all this stuff that I was like, oh, this is a great uh-huh. kind of like an, it's a great uh, word picture analogy for us to think about. So they, they can, and he can go, that's all just, that's just explain the scene part for you. It's like one little part of you. Imagine how much more detail there is in all of you. Yeah, and I didn't get to read this part because we I didn't get this far with the young men that I was hiking with. Um, and so now I'm going to have to go back and read this to them because I think everybody, every student, I would say while they're in school learning about the body parts, need to learn this. Right. Yeah. Yeah, when you're learning this, all the scientific stuff about how the eye works, also read this part. Like, read these two pages from St. Basil. Yeah. Take you yeah. take you like five minutes. Right. Yeah. Well, I'm excited. I'm, I'm excited to read the next part. Like, this has been easily the best understanding of, of what's going on in, in Genesis 1 and 2 in the creation story. And man in particular, after, you know, 44 years on this earth. <laughs> um, uh, it's like, oh. It's just been sitting here waiting to be translated by somebody 20 years ago. If only someone had translated it sooner. So. No, I, I mean, I'm interested to read other things by him as well because of reading uh, this, his writing. Like I said, I don't, I feel like he's writing to me. Yeah, it's so clear. His homilies are clearly for the the, the average church audience of his day, right? He's not, mm-hmm. he's not debating the philosophers. He's, He's writing to his congregation or preaching to his congregation. So, I mean, obviously, I still don't get it all. I still have lots of questions. No, um, but the the sentence structure, the vocabulary, and the references aren't beyond me. Yeah, it also tells you that they had a, his audience had a much better grasp of the of the of the Old Testament at least, and probably the New Testament mm-hmm. than I do, because he just references it like you know. Yeah, as it says here, and I'm like, oh, I got to go look that story up again. And what did Lamech do? Like, you know, like he just yeah. gives it to him, right? right? And so, um, they they were steeped in their scriptures, probably just from listening to him read aloud, the oral tra- tra- tradition for most of them. So it's kind of puts me to shame a little bit. <laughs> I'm I'm right here with you. I'm <laughs> Where does this fit? Well, next time we get together, we get to read his or discuss his homily uh, explaining the, that god is not the cause of evil i know i'm so excited i hope it like gives a nice straightforward answer to that like he has the other things so patty wow. any final thoughts or anything you're looking forward to um no i'm i also look forward to this 
the next one, God is not the cause of evil. I think a lot of times we confuse that as well, just like with the humility. So excited to hear about that more. Yeah, I think this is another one of those challenges that cycles through historically, right? Like, and I think we're mm-hmm. in the middle of a, a period where this is a big question for people again, because there's we're so inundated with so much going on around us, it's horrible. And people mm-hmm. are this question is kind of resurfaced as a, as a hot topic um, with the, with the, with the second, within a secular world, like, you know, they're posing to faith, to faith of all kind, to Christians and anybody who's a deist of any kind. So I'm excited about it. Thank you. Thank you both. This has been so much fun. Y'all have, and y'all have helped me so much see even more. So I love it. Hmm. All right. Well, thank all of you for joining us. I hope y'all are enjoying uh, St. Basil as much as we are. Um, We'll come back next week uh, talking about the problem of evil uh, with St. Basil. Um, so I hope you'll check that out. You can send your questions or comments to us at podcast at Cerseinstitute.org. And be sure to check out the other shows on the Cersei Podcast Network. Mm-hmm.